Uh, we've been looking at the book of Revelation, and I realize that uh, the book of Revelation can be very, uh, very disorienting. It uh, requires a certain amount of, I think, uh, uh, careful attention. In other words, you, you have to decide right when you begin to read the book how you're going to read it. Are you going to read it uh, just straight through uh, 22 chapters chronologically and try to, to identify uh, historic uh, landmarks where that you can plant a flag and say, okay, this happens here, this happens here, or this happens here. And uh, in, our, in our modern world, uh, especially in this 21st century, that's how the book of Revelation is generally approached, is uh, let's, let's just read it chronologically, let's look for these uh, historic landmarks, uh, what, are, what are happening, and then we'll know the end is, is coming and getting near. And so we're looking for signs and, and uh, you know, uh, miraculous things to happen in order to clue us in on what's going on. There is a different way of reading the book of Revelation. It's actually the way that some of the ancient church fathers, including St. Augustine, read the book, and that it was uh, not merely chronological, although there's definitely a chronological progression in the book of Revelation, but that it was very symbolic and very figurative, and that ancient audiences were supposed to be able to look and see images and pictures and from that, get impressions of what was going on in the world around them at different times and in different ways. And so the approach that, that I'm taking and that I hope that you will at least consider is one that is called recapitulationism, and which is uh, that the scenes in Revelation are recapitulating. And that it's like the scene is, is shown to you and there's a chapter, maybe two chapters, and then... Uh, a, a period is placed, an end comes, a, a final judgment. In fact, there's seven of these final judgments uh, that you can identify very easily in the book of Revelation. Uh, and that these things are cycling over, and then, the, then the, the story starts up again from a different camera angle, from a different viewpoint. And it's looking at the same story. And that we, as the people of God, should expect to see... History recycling as well, and that there's going to be persecution and heresy and all kinds of crazy stuff during the Roman Empire. There's also going to be crazy stuff going on during the medieval times. There's going to be crazy stuff going on uh, in, in the uh, 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 later years, and there's going to be crazy stuff going on in the 21st century. And depending on where you live, you might believe that you are experiencing the the horrible plagues and the, and the pictures that are described. You know, we live in relative safety here in the United States. And there are other parts of the world where the book of Revelation, these terrible plagues and scenes that we're, we're going to read one in just a moment, you would think it's happening right now. And it's highly arrogant of Western people to think that the end is only coming when it comes to us. There's something really wrong with that. And it would have been wrong for people in World War II to say, well, that's when the end came with uh, the Nazis and Hitler and all that. Or we'll go back further, the end came with the fall of the Roman Empire. Or go back further. Y wherever you go in history, you will find times and places where these things are happening. They are shortening. 
The spiral is closing. There is an end coming in sight. But it may be today, before the end of the service. Some of you are praying, God, please hurry. <laughs> get, get, get done with Him. Could be tomorrow. It could be a hundred years. Could be a thousand years. Could be a million years. We don't know. Jesus said, you're not going to know. Nobody knows. And he said that the signs of his coming are going to be present all the time. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. And so when you see these things, he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep going. Keep building. Keep living. Keep hoping. So let's look at our text. And what we're going to do this morning, and and as as I've been doing, I'm going to ask you not to read along with me. I just want you to experience it the way the early church would have. Listen, and then when we actually start to get into the passages, I will have you refer to your Bible. or to the text. It's written in your bulletin. So if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. Just look at it in the bulletin. The text is printed. And now listen to what uh, I'm going to read, and then you tell me, or you tell yourself, what you see, what you visualize, because that's how the book was meant to be understood. What pictures are coming up in your mind? And then I'll, I'll try to help us sort, sort through them out. Sort of sort them out, excuse me. So I'm going to start in Revelation 14. Now hear God's word. Then I saw another angel flying directly over ahead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, and the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, out of 
the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over fire. And he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. This is the Word of God. Well, my goodness, this is one of the most distressing scenes in the Bible, and I hope it distressed you. It should. It's meant to. And uh, let's see, what do we see? The way we're going to look at this, as we do every week, what do we see? What are the scenes that are being unfolded? Why are we seeing them? What do we see, and why are we seeing them? Why is John writing this? And then finally, the third thing we'll look at is who. Who do we see? Well, first of all, what I think we see, and I don't, look, I'll be the first to admit it, we see fire and hell and brimstone raining down on the earth indiscriminately and burning up everybody and everything. Uh, the innocent, the wicked, the good, the bad, young, old, sick, infirm. We just see all these terrible images of God just pouring out fire and wrath on a poor, innocent world that is. Uh, uh, just trying to do the best it can. Just trying to get along. You know, we're all just trying to get along, right? Well, if you know yet, maybe you are trying to get along. I know a lot of people don't want to get along. And I think that's what we see. We see a world that is racked with sin and darkness and pain and injustice and in, uh, infanticide. Now we've got more of that. And we have people cheering for death and cheering for lifelessness and and glorying in material goods and loving to have it over the next person. We see a lot of cruelty. We also see a lot of good in the world. It's not that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. But John is describing the final judgment. And I hope you see this is the third of seven. This is a third coming of Jesus, and it's in chapter 14. So you got, we're going to tw- chapter 22. There's going to be a couple more of these returns of Jesus to judge the earth. And this is just one of them. It's another picture of Christ coming to judge the earth. But let me talk to you about judgment for a minute. Judgment in the West, in America, it just is really grates on us. We don't like the idea of judgment We think that God is wrathful and vengeful, that He's just out to get everybody, and that if you slip up, He's just going to drop the hammer on you. And we are very uncomfortable with wrath. We're very uncomfortable with the idea of judgment. But look at verse 7 carefully. Just look at it. A loud voice says, Fear God, give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Judgment, listen folks, judgment is two-sided. Judgment is two-sided. There is a side to judgment that is punishing the wicked. 
punishing those that have done wrong and deserve to be punished. But there's another side to judgment, and that is the the ordering of what is right, putting things back the way they're supposed to be. And who does not want both of those? Even in our country, in our pluralistic society, our post-Christian America, whatever you want, even in America, we want justice to prevail. And we want the wicked punished. We don't like to see people getting away with murder or getting away with crime or getting away with things. We want to see things right. And that's what this whole business of fear and glory and worship. You see, things are out of whack in this world. And I don't know anybody, whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist. I don't, it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody recognizes something's wrong. And everybody has a way of putting it right. And Christianity has a way of putting things right. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation is groaning under the weight of the sin and brokenness and darkness that we see in this world. The whole creation is groaning. And it says, but we also are groaning, those of us that are Christians, that we also are groaning inwardly, awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. That we know innately that something's not right even with us. We see it in disease, we see it in death, we see it in depression. We see it with anxiety. We see it with fear. We see it with doubt. We see it with insecurity. All of those things, you name it, we know it's there. And everybody is self-medicating with something, some way of pushing back that darkness. We all know something's wrong. But the Apostle Paul said, for the Christian what we are longing for, what we are groaning for is that day when Jesus comes, the Son of Man with His sickle and harvest the earth because we know on that day that He will indeed judge the wicked and that He will indeed set things right. So the first angel is decreeing a judgment of an eternal gospel. He's saying this Judgment is good news. It's not all bad. It's not just fire and hell, brimstone raining down on human beings indiscriminately. It is God coming back to a broken world to set things right. The return of the king, Aragorn, taking up the throne in Minas Tirith and becoming the great king over Middle Earth. It's Arthur coming back to the, to the round table. Whatever image, whatever story, they all have this idea behind them that something's amiss and we need the King to return and set things right. We long for that. We groan for it. The second decree of judgment is on Babylon. You're going to find out more about Babylon in a couple of weeks. We're going to look at chapters 17 and 18. And those two chapters are just a a long expose of this harlot. Babylon, this seductive part of culture and society that runs through 
all cultures and all society. You have the beast on the one hand who opposes Christianity and opposes the saints, forces them to get a mark in their hand or forehead, which is also symbolic of allegiance and loyalty. He forces them to do that. He coerces them to worship the image of the beast. But on the other hand, you have this harlot, this prostitute that rides on the back of the great red dragon and she's got a cup the cup of the wine of wrath, and the, the, the blood of the saints, and she's drunk. You can see her reeling back and forth as she rides on the back of this, this, this dragon, drunk with the blood of the saints. The imagery is outstanding. Hollywood couldn't do it. It's so incredible. And the second decree of judgment is one. God is saying, John is saying, I am going to judge that part of culture that seduces people. There's a coercive side. There's a seductive side. And I'll tell you something, folks, and you know this. If there was ever a a culture that is absolutely given over, that we have marked ourselves completely with materialism and consumerism, it is the United States of America and Western Europe. Yes, that is all we are about. That is how come there are shows like uh, uh, Keeping Up with Kardashian. That's all it's about. It's about materialism and consumerism and external looks and appearances and money and Bentleys and jewelry. We're going to bury my father-in-law next week. And it's just going to be him. No bank account. No jewelry. All we have, folks, the one thing that we have that can never be taken away from us is Jesus Christ, our King. Amen? Do you see that? As good as all those things are, I'm not saying you shouldn't have money. I'm not saying you shouldn't strive to do well in your business and try to have things and, and so you can help your church and help people and do good. Great, great, great. But don't be marked by it. Don't let it mark you and mark you to where it becomes everything. Because that's the danger that he's talking about. And so we can be seduced the same way we can be coerced by force. Are you with me? That's the second angel. The third angel gives His decree of judgment on the beast and His worshipers. He's just letting you know the prostitute's going to get judged and so is the beast and everything that goes along with Him. These are the political uh, powers of the world and they're, and they're all like that to some degree or another. It doesn't matter if you're in a Western democracy or a communist totalitarian state. They all want to control one way or another. We have a little bit of input in the West under uh, in a democracy and a republic, uh, but that can be taken away. And it, you've seen it throughout history. We should learn from those things. They are not permanent, and they can be taken away. And yet the people of God are to be the same, no matter what, right? Under either. We're to remain the same. Because we have an allegiance. We have been sealed. 144,000 have been sealed with the seal of God. He says, this one's mine. 
And we give our allegiance to Him, ultimately. And then we serve our country. Whether we're in a communist country or a republic uh, uh, democracy, we serve and we're the best citizens we possibly can. If we have the right to vote, we vote. And if we don't, we serve. And if we die, we die. Do you see? You see the freedom that comes from that. The joy that can come from that. Nothing can bind you. Nothing can hold you. Nothing can control you. But the king doesn't control your forehead, doesn't control your hand, doesn't control your thinking, doesn't control your works. Amazing. In 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13, we don't have time to look at this. It's a call. It's a parenthetical statement that, that John, through the Holy Spirit, he drops it in there and he said, this is, this is a call for perseverance. He's telling us, look, you're living, you and I are living in the already, not yet. Jesus is king, and yet the consummation has not come. Therefore, we must persevere. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you drive through the line, how many of you go to the charcoal? Any of you go through the charcoaler? I mean, if you go through the charcoaler and you get up there and your hamburger's not ready, you, your foot will start going like this. Well, how long is it going to be? I mean, my gosh, I've waited 10 seconds. Well, I'm Right? <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, we've got to have stuff now, now, now. We want change now. We want our marriage fixed now. We want our job fixed. We want everything now, 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 now. We want you to quit preaching now. <laughs> now, you get the picture, right? I mean, now, now. You know. Okay. Faith, your journey is a long one. God willing, you will live to be ripe old age. I don't know. It's a long road. There will be ups and downs. There will be sideways. There will be declines. There will be good. There will be bad. There will be good pluses and minuses. All of that. Embrace it. Embrace it. You have somebody that's going through that journey with you. The rest of the world doesn't even have him. That's why John said this. Here's a call for wisdom. Look at what you have. Look at who you have. And make your journey that way with Him. Okay, finally, 14 through 20, the harvest of the earth. That's what we see. Why are we seeing it? Well, let me put it to you simply, and I want to do this quickly, and I beg you to listen to me. Nobody in here is getting out alive. You all are going to die. Aren't you glad you came today? Everybody dies. Some of us are closer than others. Some of you are very close and you don't know it. Now, I hope you're sufficiently frightened. I mean, really think about it. Every breath, every moment is a gift from God. I mean, who knows what tomorrow may bring? We're to number our days. We're to, we're to think right. We're to, in, in fact, I just got a book I'm reading right now because I want to do a series in Ecclesiastes. I've been talking to uh, Herman about it. And, and, and Ecclesiastes teaches us to live our lives backwards in light of our death. And that if we really thought that way, it wouldn't lead us to morbid introspection. It would lead us to right Thinking, and we would make different choices, and we would act differently. If we really knew, you know, someday I'm going to die, I need to be careful what I say to this person. I need to be careful about this action I take. I need to be careful what I do here. It gives us great hope. It's not about futility. It's about 
the wispiness, the temporariness of life. Christianity is a religion, folks, of life and death. The Bible said from the very beginning, God is telling people, human beings, from the start, from the get-go, God has been telling human beings, here I'm laying before you life and death, choose life. From the very first chapter to the very last in Revelation, He's saying, choose life. Adam and Eve in the garden, you may eat of every tree of the garden, but of tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. In the day you eat thereof you shall surely die. Choose life. Choose tree of life. It's over here. You can have all the fruits you want from tree of life. Don't go to tree of knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to know anything about good and evil. I only want you to know life. The mystery of the ages. And look, we do it every day, folks. We make these choices. <laughs> you think, oh, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. You want to bet? Wait till this afternoon and then tell me about that. You will have made four or five of these choices by this afternoon, especially at lunchtime today. All right, come on. Be real. I mean, this is, this is who we are. The mystery, R.C. Sproul said, the mystery of iniquity is why did they do it? We may never know that. And I don't know why they did it. I don't appreciate it. But here we are. Moses on Mount Gerasim. They had Mount Gerasim, Mount Ebal. And he pronounces blessings and curses. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I've said before you life, death, blessing, curse. Therefore, choose life. That you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him. For He is your life and the length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then Joshua reinstitutes the covenant in Shechem. And he says this, now therefore, this you, you're probably familiar with it. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity. Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil, look at that. I love this. You've got to love Joshua. You've got to love the honesty of the Bible. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then go choose this day who you will serve. Go back, he says. Serve those gods in Egypt. They were really great to you, weren't they? Slaves, slaves, slave, Right? Go back there if you liked it so much. Or better yet, look around you in the Amorites. Look at how great this place is. God is about ready to destroy all of them because of their wickedness. If you like their gods better. He said that. I'm just, I'm getting excited. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you were served. The gods of your fathers you served beyond the river. Or the gods of the Amorites in this land where you dwell. Choose. And then finally, Jesus, our Lord, pleaded with people, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Come to me. Find rest for your souls. Come learn about me. Learn of me. I'm meek. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. And you will find rest for your souls. Choose life. And He promises justice. He promises it. And He gives a benediction Verse 13, blessed indeed. 
that they may rest from their labors and, from their, and that their deeds will follow them. God is telling people that suffer, people that hurt, people that are in distress like you and me, people like us, at every level, He's telling us to persevere and to hang on and not to give up and to trust Him because you will not be forgotten. You will not be forsaken. Your works, not one thing that you do will ever disappear. You say, well, it's just not matter. It just doesn't matter. Nothing ever comes. Nothing ever happens. You don't know that. You don't see the end. For we can't even see what's going to happen in 15 minutes. We think we're going to have a congregational meeting in a few minutes. But we don't know. Well, I, I kind of do, but... I, but, but yeah. I mean, you get the idea. I mean, come on. We're, we're just, where does trust trust? He, nothing. So I'm trying the best I can. Working the, that, trust Him. He's not going to let one single tear fall to the ground. He's going to catch them in His bottle, the Bible says. He is going to know, blessed in the sight of our God is the death of His saints. He is all in. On the cross, He was all in. And every day since then, He's been all in for us. And He's saying, blessed indeed. Wow. Wrath and judgment, highly unpopular in our culture, unless, unless it's personal, unless somebody breaks into your house, unless somebody steals your goods, unless somebody takes away your car, unless somebody says some bad thing about you, unless somebody, you know, speaks unkindly to you, unless somebody does something to you, then we want wrath. We want hellfire and brimstone to come down on them. And if you want to evaluate, you want a real test of your Christianity, let somebody really abuse you and mistreat you and you didn't deserve it and see how you respond and that will be the measure of your Christianity. Right there. Right there. Don't talk to me about anything else. Don't give me one but or wherefore or therefore or nothing. Because Jesus said, love your enemies, not your friends. He said, it's easy to love your friends. Are you out of your mind? Everybody loves their friends, He said. Love your enemies. Well, I don't like that. I want wrath. I want hell and brimstone on my enemies. I don't want them to get away with that. Who do they think they are? They can't talk about me that way. They can't treat me that way. Wow. Who do you see? Let's finish. Look, we don't have time to read it, but there's two pictures here. One is the Son of Man in verses 14 and 16 through 16. And the Son of Man is on a cloud. This is Jesus. He said this was going to be His return. It looks exactly like what He said. He's coming in a cloud. Okay? And He's got a sickle. And an angel comes out. A sickle is one of these, you know, like a scythe, one of these things to harvest. And an angel comes out from God's temple and gives the word in in. Chapter uh, 8, it was a trumpet blast, okay? Uh, in chapter 6, it was, some, it was the, the breaking of the, the sixth seal. Uh, it, these things are recapitulating, and now it's this angel, and he's announcing, put in your sickle and harvest the grain. And most scholars uh, say that, that that sweep of the, of the sickle, he, harvesting the grain as he's bringing the grain into his storehouse. This is at the end of days, the final judgment. 
And then another angel with a sharp sickle and another angel who comes out and tells him that this one came from the altar, the second angel, and he has fire, judgment. What happened on, what happened on the altar every time they sacrificed something? Got burned up, right? Fire. So this one comes, he's got fire, altar. He swings his sickle and he reaps the grapes. The grapes of wrath. These are images from the Old Testament that are frightening images of God reaping, putting these, these grapes into a great wine press and crushing them. It's a symbol of, of judgment. It's what Jesus talked about the end of the days. The judgment of the world and the wrath on the wicked and the evil of this world. So who do you see on that cloud? What, think about this for just a minute and then we'll be done. Listen, what was the journey that Jesus took to get from heaven to earth and back onto that cloud and with him to have the right, the power, the majesty? to divide some and give judgment and divide others and give... What was it? Is it just God saying, eh, that's just the way I want it to be? And you all know that's not true. Jesus came from heaven to earth so that He could experience judgment and wrath and forsakenness and pain and abandonment, and betrayal. And the Apostle Paul said, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus Himself said, Unless a grain of wheat fall into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When he swings that sickle and he harvests the earth, he's harvesting his own. He's taking back what he paid for. His own grain sown with his own body. And now the harvest is full. And the great king comes to get his own. And he gets it because he lost it all to get you and to get me. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said this, one of my favorite quotes of C.S. Lewis, a cleft has opened in the pitiless walls of the world. A cleft has opened in the pitiless walls of the world. And we are invited to follow our great captain inside. And that's what the book of Revelation is teaching. Will you go? Will you trust him? Will you go all the way, even in the pitiless walls of this world? I pray you will. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy that endures forever. We ask that you would help us 
that you would save us, that you would have mercy on us, that you would grant us the grace to persevere, knowing that nothing in our lives is wasted, no pain, no hurt, no tears, no sorrow, that you are keeping track of every moment of every day and that someday in this world you will make things right and that we are not to take vengeance but leave vengeance to you. Help us please to be those people. I beg you, Father, transform us. We ask you to do it in Christ's name, please.